Hey there, and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. We are currently in week five of our Experiencing God series, and this message is called, Why Am I Feeling Stuck? Let's go ahead and jump in. Good morning, 10 o'clock service. And those online, how you're all right, fired up. You good? How, how are we doing today? Good, good, good. Thank you so much. You guys are so kind. Um, I want to have an honest conversation today. Can we start with honesty? You don't even know what the question, but you're ready to go for it? All right, all right, let's let's start there. Um, is it just me, or does anybody else uh, struggle with a sense of direction? Guys over here? No guys over here. All right. All right. Um, I, I have struggled with a sense of direction, even though I have been strongly in denial that I do. Um, about a month ago, I had an opportunity to take a trip with my family. And uh, there was, it wasn't a brand new spot. We had been there a few years before, but uh, I hadn't been there in a while. But there was at least three different times that I can count where I was very, very confident that I was headed in the right direction. I knew where I was going. And I was three for three, 100%. I was absolutely lost every single time. And the last time that it happened, it almost was very, very costly. It almost was an involuntary extension of our trip. Uh, we were at the airport and looking at our, our watch and seeing, I look at my watch, I'm like, I don't wear a watch. I was looking at my phone, if I'm going to be honest, and uh, seeing we're kind of on a time crunch here. So I'm in an airport, fairly good sized airport that I'm not super familiar with. Um, and uh, so I go and take my ticket to one of the TSA agents and say, hey, here's my ticket. I know there's three different security checkpoints. Which one do I need to be in? And she's like, right here. This is where you need to be. Great. So I go grab my, it's my family, but honestly, I called it a circus on that trip. We got a family of six and a stroller. And we actually have a party of seven because we took someone with us. I'm like, we're a full-on spectacle, like walking through the airport. And so I go grab them all. We head back to the security checkpoint and we start making our way through this line that is not short by any means. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been to the airport recently, but I'm pretty sure that every single time I go, it's like they're trying to keep us on our toes so they add something new. So we find, we go around the turnstiles, that's normal. We get to one point in their line, okay, everyone has to go single file now. All right. And then we get to another point, they're like, okay, now you need to go unsingle file. It's not even a word, I don't think, but you go side by side and walk down this thing. And I'm like, okay, this is weird, but we can do this. As we start to do that, this dog starts walking around us. And I'm like, I... I have no idea what's happening right now, but as long as we make our flight, we're good. And so we go all the way around the zigs and the zags and everything. We get all the way to the front of the line with everything. Uh, We're next in line. They call us up. We walk up there and the wonderful gentleman there looks at my wife and says, so what airline are you guys on today? And she says, we're on Southwest. And as soon as she answered, I knew we were in trouble because his total demeanor changed. And he said, you're in the wrong line. You need to back up, go over there. That nice gentleman over there will let you out of the thing that you just went all the way through. And you need to go all the way over across there. Um, He didn't really give us an option. So we had to do that. In that moment, I would say that I was in a crisis. Um, But... I'm always learning new things. I know that, that God's always teaching us new things. And this weekend, I actually learned a, a new word that I want to share with you. If you've heard of it, then um, just go along with it. Just pretend like you're learning it. But 
This word is called verbicide. Anybody familiar with verbicide? No, okay. We're all going to learn together. See, I asked Matthew this morning, and he said it sounds like when an action word gets killed or something. But that would actually make sense. But verbicide is actually when uh, the meaning of a word gets changed. Somebody intentionally says, we're going to take this word and make it mean something else. So as you think about our culture and where we're at right now, you can probably think of many words that that's happened to. Um, We're not going to use that one. Whatever one you're thinking of, we're not using that one. But you know that it's a real thing. The word that I want to use it with, or I want to apply this idea of verbicide to, is this word crisis. Because if you're anything like me, when you hear that word crisis, like your blood pressure just instantly went up. Like if somebody says we're headed for a crisis, I'm not thinking this is going to be good. Like all of a sudden I'm thinking something horrible is going to happen. And that may just be me and the dramatic nature that I have. But really, this word has been a victim of verbicide because what it really means or what it simply means is just you've come to a point in whatever you're doing, whatever you're dealing with, where a decision must be made. You can't just remain neutral. You have to make a decision. See, and while the word crisis is given a negative effect, I actually think it's a good thing because whenever I have an opportunity to make a decision, I have to remember that being able to make a choice is a gift. Not, not every opportunity is there to make a choice, but we as being made in the image of God, we have the opportunity to choose what we're going to do. And so Richie talked about what do we do when God speaks? Our next step as God speaks, when he speaks, it always brings us to a place or a crisis of belief, a place where we must decide what we are going to do. And that choice always involves faith and action. See, that creates kind of a a struggle because um, there's lots of people in in my life that they are trying to kind of walk both sides of the fence. They are trying to say, I'm going to live life however I want to do it, but I'm going to like fit Jesus in on top of it too. Or what they're doing is is saying, I'm going to change who Jesus says he is into a person or a picture or a figure of somebody that fits better within the way that I want to live my life. And it's a very real thing. And you ask like, why are we talking about this? Because this really matters. Um, It really is and can be a matter of life and death. Um, I recently learned about a friend who was kind of in that spot of Jesus is great, love his teachings, all these things knows a lot about who he is, but isn't willing to to make the changes necessary. And so there's this struggle that's going on of how how do we deal with this whole faith and action thing? And see, this isn't like a new thing. This is something that people have dealt with for so long. In fact, a favorite author of mine, C.S. Lewis, if you don't know who he was, you may know who he is. He's written a lot of, of books, but if you don't know who he is, um, he's an English guy, author, very brilliant man, spent a lot of the years of his life as an atheist. Knowledge and education and all these things are going to get me along just fine. I don't need Jesus. But eventually he had an encounter and an experience with God and it changed his life. All the things that he once thought were true, just as all the things that I thought about the airport experience that I thought I knew were undone. And so he wrote very, very passionately 
And I want to share something that he, he wrote when people were trying to, to walk this thing of, Jesus is a good guy, but like, I'm still going to go do what I, I want to do. In response to that, he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. You see, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, a crazy person, on a level with, with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell, just pure evil. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Every time that that Jesus encountered someone, the things that he said put that person in a place where they had to make a decision. They couldn't just stay where they're at and do what they're doing. See, but God isn't going to change for us. We have to be willing to to do things his way. And so this struggle of, of faith and action and what do we do when God speaks? How do I respond? What does it look like? What does it not look like? It's something that's gone on for years and years and years. And quite honestly, it's something that um, I'm still working through. See, this is something that um, I, I talk a really good talk. I'm just ask, ask my wife. I, you know, I'll talk about doing the dishes. Now, whether I do them or not, that's a different thing. But I know they need to be done. I can even like get in everything already or, or lots of these things. So, so I can say a lot of things. But uh, Henry Blackaby, an author that really wrote on this experiencing God thing, really said that um, what we do with our lives will really reveal what we believe about God, regardless of what we say. And so if we're going to do things God's way, we've got to look to his word and see what it is that he says. And so I want to start by just giving us a, a short kind of framework from which we'll, we'll work with. Starting in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, just says this. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the first thing, as God speaks to us, if we're going to respond in faith and action, the first thing is we have to believe that there is a God, that he exists. It's impossible for us to have faith in something that doesn't exist. Just like any, anything else that we would put our faith in, we must start with the fact that God exists and secondly, that he rewards those who, who seek him. He is a God who gives rewards. There is a reward for seeking him just as there are consequences for not. And so that's our starting spot. If we, if we turn forward a few pages, we get to the book of James chapter two. And we read that verse 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There's certain verses that like I would like to change in there. Like if you ask me what that is, I'm like faith without works is like, sick, or getting better, needs some improvement, or if you look at your kids' report cards, satisfactory, like my favorite. But it doesn't say that. It says it's dead. 
Like when you think of something that is dead, like what is it able to do? Nothing. Nothing at all. So I can't just clean it up and say that it's, not, it's, it's okay. I can, I can talk a good talk, but it doesn't really matter all that much what I do. God says that, that if our actions don't back up what we believe in or what we say we have faith in, then it's dead. And if you turn back a few verses, same thing in James chapter two, he actually gives us kind of an illustration. Here's what it's like. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, has no words or works or action to go with it? Can such a faith save them? See, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes. They don't have any clothes or daily food. They're in need. If one of you goes up to him and says, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. There are real people with real needs. And when God speaks, he's saying, I see that person with that need and I'm gonna do something about it. And the reason I told you is because I want you to trust me and allow me to work in you to do it. So if I hear God's voice, if I say that I have faith and he speaks to me and he says, here's a need, I wanna use you to fill it. And I'm saying, no, I'm not doing that. He says, your faith is dead. It's worthless. It's not, it's not alive at all. See, not is that only something that, that I've struggled with, as I've said, I talk a good talk, but sometimes it doesn't always match what I'm doing. There's another young man who had an experience with Jesus. And so I wanna ask you to turn, if you've got your Bibles with you, or a Bible app, or ask to, to share with someone beside you, Matthew 19 is where we're gonna be at and read about this story about another young man who had an encounter with God. He wanted God to speak to him, and he did. Uh, verses 16 through 22 tells us a story. <clears throat> it says, just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked him, he said, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And he says, if you want to enter life, here's the answer to your question, keep the commandments. The man says, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The man says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, this is where I'm really, really glad that I'm not Jesus because at this point, I would have had some questions. Say, so you've never told a lie. You've never stolen anything. Like I have four kids and none of them are capable of always honoring their mother and father, but you've done it. Or you always love your neighbor as yourself. See that I'm looking at the, what's in front of me. But not only when we hear from God, does it bring us to a spot where we must decide. The reason that God speaks to us is because it's an invitation to be involved with what he's doing. So Jesus is so gentle and gracious with this man. He doesn't go to the, hey, I don't believe your answer. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Story closes on kind of a, a somber note. We read that when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So as we finish that story, it's important to realize that this is an actual account, a story of what happened. It's not saying that, okay, everyone here in this room, you all need to sell everything that you have, give all your possessions to the poor. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this is a real man who had a real encounter with God. He was putting his hope, he was putting everything that he thought was true and real and of value in everything that he owned. And God said, that's the thing that's keeping you from following. So that's the thing that has to go. That's what he's saying. See, the reason that God gives us a choice is because ever since the beginning, God designed us, whatever your view of God is, God has designed us to live as free people. And free people have a choice. If if we don't have a choice whether or not to do something, then we're not free. And God wants us to to be free people. So he's given us a choice. And, And here's one that kind of like hit me upside the head because a lot of times I've been known as being indecisive. Well, even not making a decision is a decision. Super important. Because the same thing, if if this man wouldn't have said anything to Jesus and he just would have just responded kind of neutrally, that's still a decision. You're not doing what God has said to do. And so both are required. And so as we realize that when God speaks to us, he brings us to a choice, we must make a decision. Um, The thing that would really be helpful for me would be how do I choose well? Because so much of the time, I don't want to make a choice because what if I make the wrong choice? And so in my infinite wisdom, okay, I don't make a choice, which is actually a choice. So now I've made a choice and I just didn't learn anything from it. But that's what we're talking about. How do we choose well? I think the first thing about choosing well And to set ourselves up for success is to realize that when you come to a choice, the word decision actually means to cut off something. Like if you're going to make a decision, then something has to be cut off and you have to go the other way. Really what it's saying is that it's going to take us outside of our comfort zone. We have to expect to be stretched. If we don't expect to be stretched, then when that decision comes upon us, it seems overwhelming and I don't know how I'm ever going to do this. But if I know that it's going to be uncomfortable, if I know it's going to be stretched, it's kind of like if you know if you go to the gym and you work yourself up like 45 minutes before about like, I can do this. I can do this. We're going to go. It's going to hurt. It's going to be awful. When I think of the word stretch, um, those of you who have met my four-year-old daughter, her name is Poppy and her name lives up to who she is. She was in dance class the other day and, and it came time to stretch for, before they start working on their routines and everything. And so at one point, the instructor looks at the girls who are all circled up and and says, okay, we're going to do the splits now. We're going to stretch. And so as they're doing that, this one little girl, keep in mind, these are like four and five-year-olds. This one little girl says like, oh, this hurts. And leave it to my daughter to say the thing that everybody is thinking. She looks over and says, it's supposed to hurt. (laughs) We're we're still working on grace with, with her. But the point is, is that it's, it's a stretching. It's outside of your comfort zone. How do you get more flexible? By stretching yourself than, than further than you've been before. See, I had an opportunity to be a part of a conference this week. And one thing they talk about is there's three zones when it comes to our level of comfortability. There's our comfortable zone where like, I'm totally fine. Nothing is bothering me at all. There's our grown zone, which the older I get, the more I'm experiencing. 
the fact that like, oh, this hurts. I used to stretch because it was like the, you know, a thing to do. And now I stretch so that I don't end up severely injured. It's the groan zone. You're like, I don't, I'm not really sure. It hurts. It's painful. And then there's the panic zone. Okay. This past week, we were encouraging people just to go to the groan zone. We don't want to like, we want to go into panic, but you need to be ready to be stretched because as God's going to speak, he's going to say something that's not going to be uh, maybe either what you thought was going to be, or it's going to require you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. But it is an invitation. And so if you've got your notes with you, if you're taking notes, really there's two, two things kind of want to focus on. If we're going to choose well, the first thing we've got to do is keep our confidence in Jesus. See, the decision that we have to make or the crisis that we find ourselves in is not the most important thing. It's what we do next. It's who we turn to when we have to make a decision that will make all the difference in the world. When I was at the airport, if they told me that and I said, you're wrong, I'm staying here. I'm just focused on this. Or if I just, I just stand there and I'm overwhelmed by the fact we're going to miss our flight. We're just going to miss our flight. So I'm just going to stay there and be a self-fulfilling prophecy and miss our flight. It's not the fact that the crisis happens because Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, don't focus on the trouble, focus on me. It's not that the crisis is the most important thing. It's what you do next and who you put your trust in to do that. And so um, this is where the rich young ruler, the guy that we just read about, that's where he got it right. He said to himself, I know something in my life is lacking and this guy has the answer. And so he goes to Jesus. That's the perfect thing to do. He gets it exactly right in there. And when we're talking about keeping our, our, our confidence in Jesus, we're really talking about two different things. We're, we're relying on his power and his presence. Okay, we're relying on his power. Um, who, who is God? Who does he say that he is? And in Ephesians uh, chapter three, God tells us in his word, he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Okay, whatever the, what this is saying is that no matter what you think about God, how powerful he is, maybe it's on a scale of one to 10, you think he's at a five, or maybe you think he's at a nine, or maybe you think he's, he's at an 11 even. Okay, he says, I'm even better than that. Whatever you think of me, I am able to do much more than you could ever think of. And if that's not enough, he says, and by the way, I'm working in you. That same power the power that we sing about, that's the power that rose Jesus from the grave, that power is at work in you right now this morning in real life. And so we rely on his power. That's a great thing to remember, but we also rely on his presence. This is super important. Back in the book of Matthew, at the end of the book, Jesus has risen from the grave and he's given his, his followers, his disciples or his apprentices some last minute like information said, hey, you guys, I've been doing things with you, showing you how to do things, modeling things for you for three years. And now it's your turn. He says, I want you to go into all the world, the entire world, and make disciples of every person. That's a tall order. He says, here's what I want you to do. And if it would have ended there, I'm not sure what would have happened. But I can imagine if it was me, I would have felt pretty overwhelmed at that moment. But it doesn't end there. The very last thing that he says to his followers before he leaves them is he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So keeping our confidence in Jesus is relying on his power, knowing what he can do and that he is in work in you and work in me. And it's also having the faith and relying on the fact that he's never gonna leave you. 
People will leave you. He will never leave you. And it's as we do those things, we rely on those things that we're able to live by his definition and design. See, it's, it's knowing who he is, what he is capable of, and what he's promised to do that gives us the confidence to act. So when we talk about living by his definition and design, we've got to live by what he says is true. When I come against a struggle, sometimes I can look at all my inadequacies. Here's what I don't know how to do. Here's how hard it's going to be. Or even if you've been raised in the church, say, I don't have enough faith. But here's what Jesus says. Back in Matthew 17, he says, all you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. And you can look over there and say to that mountain, be thrown into the sea and it'll be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that God is who he says he is. And to keep your eyes on that, not to keep your eyes on the size of the mountain that he's asking you to discuss, just to believe that, God, you're more powerful than I could ever imagine. And so it's our faith in who Jesus is that gives us confidence to act. And so we need to keep our confidence in Jesus. That's the first step of choosing well. The second step is to keep clear of distractions because they will come. And so it's important, if you're going to choose well, you have to be fully committed from the very get-go that when God speaks, I'm committed to doing what he says. Because if I'm not, what happens is when he says, I want you to cast that mountain into the sea, I just look at the mountain. And I just say that the cost is too much. That's, that's where our friend, the rich young ruler, kind of fell short. He came to Jesus, which is the right thing to do, and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, here's what you need to do. And he wasn't fully committed to be all in with whatever, he, with whatever God had said to him. And so he began to weigh out the cost. He began to say, here's what I have. Here's how much stuff I have. Here's how much wealth I have. If I do that, I'm not going to have anything. So right now, I'm... I'm set for, you know, life. If I give everything that I have away, I don't know what I'm going to do about tomorrow, let alone when I retire. And he becomes overwhelmed with the cost and he can't see it, but it's so important to understand that that's a distraction. See, there's two things that we can be distracted by. One is when things seem like it's too much or it's too bad. We get in a situation and we say, I can't, I can't do it. This is never going to work. See, there's two key things that I love about when, when God has spoken to people throughout the course of history, there's two things that are true about it. One is that they've been absolutely sure and certain that God has spoken to them. They don't have a question about it. The second thing is that there's also no question about what he asked them to do. They're very, very clear that God spoke and this is what he asked me to do. The only issue is, is that are we going to do it or are we not? And sometimes the distraction can be, it's too big, it's too much. I can't do it. If God knew my story, he would know that I can't do it. I just started following Jesus. I, this is my first time to church. I can't do that. I know that God's speaking to me. I know what he wants me to do, but I can't do that. There's many times that I've said that to myself and there's a really, really encouraging verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, At this point, God has chosen his people. He's delivered them. 
He's already done amazing things. And then he's given them instruction. This is what it looks like to live like my people. He's speaking to them. And he gives them the list of things that I don't want you to do and things that I want you to do. And it's so that you can live free. But then in, in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 11, it's like he knew that people were going to be struggling. Like, we can't do that. This is too much. And so he gives us a promise to hold on to. He says, now what I am commanding you today, everything that I've just told you, it's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. You can do it. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who's going to go up there and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? And it's not beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who's going to cross the sea and go get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. So if we can recognize a distraction by just saying it's too much, we gotta have God's word to help us keep our confidence in Jesus. Say it's not too hard. If it was just me, it would be too hard, but it's not because he's able to do everything and he's never gonna leave me. So he's gonna do the work. He just wants to use me. But distractions can also look like good things. They can look like my life is going pretty good right now. This is where our friend, the rich young ruler, kind of fell short. He said, I know I asked the question and I know it seems like things are missing, but if that's what you are asking me to do, well, things are working out pretty well for me right now. And so I'm not, I'm not gonna go that way. And it's a distraction. See, another distraction that can look kind of in the same way is that we can get distracted by ourselves. What we've got going on. God says, he speaks to us because says, here's what I'm going to do and I want to use you to do it. And then I just start to go self-inward and just reflect all over the place. And just all the issues that I have and all the things that I've failed in and everything and make it all about me. But the truth of the matter is, as I think about that, thinking about me is actually a pretty comfortable place to be. Even though I realize how many flaws I have and how many ways I fall short, I don't actually have to go do what God has told me to do. And so sometimes it can be because life is going good. Or it can be because I, I just, I can't see past everything that I've got going on right now. I can't, I can't see past that. I can't lift my eyes up or put my eyes out towards other people because I'm so consumed with, with what I have. That is a distraction. And I'm not saying that self-care and taking care of yourself is a bad thing. I'm just saying that when God asks you to do something and that is my response or that is our response in doing that, all it is is just a giant major distraction. A distraction from, from keeping us from doing what God has called us to do, from putting our faith into action. And so, again, being able to make a choice is a gift. And it's an invitation. And um, it really challenges us to expand our view of God. Because again, Henry Blackaby, the guy that I mentioned before, 
he wrote something that I kind of want to modify a little bit to kind of commission us and, and encourage us with. The reason that responding to God requires faith and action is because God's assignments have God-sized dimensions. See, if God spoke to me and I'm like, well, I can do that. There's a really good chance that that wasn't God speaking. Sometimes I hear God speak in the context or in the language of my comfort zone. He says, I want you to go do this. And I say, what I heard is just step two steps to the left. But here's what he says, and here's what I want to encourage us with. God's assignments have God-sized dimensions. If what we believe about God, real life, does not stretch us out of our comfort zone, it probably isn't God. So let's let him use us in ways that we would never have asked, dreamed, or imagined. See, I believe that God wants to do something God-sized in our church. And it starts as we experience him, as he speaks to us. It requires us when we get to that fork in the road, that point of decision, when we hear God and know what he wants to do, it requires us acting in faith, believing God and action, meeting the need that he's called us to do. We need to be a focused church. We need to be a focused people. We need to be a church that is able to recognize the distraction, help each other recognize the distractions so that we can stay focused on what God's called us to do. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet. As I said earlier, maybe, maybe you can relate to the fact that, you know, I can talk a really good talk. But it's so important that we've got to practice. We've got to train ourselves in doing the things that God's called us to do. And so real life, I believe this morning that God has spoken to you individually, maybe to you as a family, maybe to you as an employer, maybe to you as a mom or a dad. And again, I started off today saying, let's have an honest conversation. So as you're standing here, I just want to ask you, in the quietness of your heart, has God spoken to you today? This whole thing has been about faith and action, so I want to I want to stretch you a little bit. I want to say that if you know that God speaks to people and you know that God has spoken to you today and you know what God has asked you to do, I want to ask you just to stretch just a little bit and just ask you to raise your hand and say, God's spoken to me and I know exactly what he's asked me to do this morning. So important to realize that this morning right now, we are having an experience with God. He has spoken. He's brought us to a point of decision. And we said, yeah, God's spoken to me. And in just a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to even take that step a little bit further. We're going to have some of our, our pastors, our team, our staff, our elders up front here to pray with you or to talk with you. So if God has told you this is what you need to do, we want to help you take that next step, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you're here for the first time and, and God says, you need to believe in Jesus. 
we would love to talk to you about that. We would love to help you understand what that means. Or maybe, maybe you saw Stephen get baptized and you say, man, I've been talking a good talk for a long time, but I've never actually been baptized. God told me that that's what I need to do. We wanna help you take that step. Whatever it is, we would love to just pray with you, agree with you, help you figure that out. Because God has not left us to do things on our own. And so in just a minute, I wanna give you that opportunity. But as you're standing here, I just wanna pray over you that God would give you the courage and the strength to act on what he's called you to do. God, again, you are so good. I thank you so much. God, for the promises that you've given us. God, and you are the perfect example of what faith in action looks like. God, you said the will is to do the will of your father. And you, you followed him unconditionally, God. So I thank you for this group of people that you brought here this morning. I thank you that you have spoken, God. That is so amazing that the God of the universe would care about us enough to speak to us and tell us exactly what it is that he wants us to do, what you're going to do and that you would actually want to use us, God. So I thank you that you have spoken, but I pray that you would not stop there, God. I pray that you would fill our hearts with courage and strength, God, that we would get over any embarrassment or anything that we're gonna think of letting people into this. God, that we would know your voice so clearly that we'd say, it doesn't matter what it is. This is what God said, and this is what I gotta do. God, so would you fill this room with, with a courageous faith? God, a faith that is focused, God, and not distracted, God. I pray that over this group of people right now. God, that people would take that next step from raising their hand to coming forward and saying, here's what's going on. Here's what I need help with. Here's what God's telling me to do. Can you help me figure it out? And God, I know that if we are willing to act in faith, you will respond, God. And you will do things that we would just be blown away by. So we thank you for this. We praise you, God. We love you so much. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you've uh, God spoken to you, we want to talk to you. We'll have members from our team up here. If you filled out that Connect card that Richie was talking about, we ask you that you would fill that out, drop that in the box in the back. Also, if you've got that giving envelope and you want to uh, give to the mission of Jesus or be involved in Ethiopia, uh, drop that envelope in the back as well. But Real Life, we love you so much. God wants to do so much in and through you. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for tuning into the Real Life Spokane podcast. We hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. As always, if you need prayer or just need to talk, please feel free to reach out. We look forward to hanging out with you next week. See you later.